0: please. Look at your Bibles and I just want to give you a little bit of a background to this particular letter. There's two letters that of course, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and this is the first letter. They are eschatological in their writings, and so when we're talking about the end days of the end times, a lot of times people bypass First and Second Thessalonians when Paul was directing the folks there to be able to think a little bit more clearly about what it would be like in the last days. And um, and so if we're looking at the scripture this morning, I want you to think about Thessalonica just for a moment. These were silk traders and they have been successful since 51 or 52. Uh, of course, that's a long time. We talk about the thousands of years that this particular place has been in, has been there. We think about the people in the beginning. These were, of course, silk traders, but they were involved with a small area that maybe was in 10 miles in circumference. That's all that Thessalonica is, a very small area. But what I like about the the Thessalonica and the church there was their eagerness and their desire to get the gospel out into the community. There was a desire to get the word of God to the lost. That is a heartbeat that they had, and of course, that's the heartbeat of our Lord. Our Lord is mission-minded, and so we can see that because of the great commission that we are to go, and we are to spread the gospel every place that we can. And so we have this understanding of the church at Thessalonica. Look at verse number 5 of chapter 1, if I can, just as far as the background. He says in verse one, verse number 4, of course, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God And he says in chapter 1, verse number 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. And so even though there was affliction and difficulties, they still received the word of God. And they were able to then sound it out into the communities that uh, that they were able to get the gospel. And then the apostle Paul commends them that I don't have to do anything because you are able to get the word of God to the lost. I want you to to turn now with me, if you would, to our text, and then just think for a moment of 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 the transitions that are happening here uh, with the apostle. Paul, he is writing to them concerning the end times, concerning uh, some questions perhaps in chapter 4. He's he's answering a question, what about those that have died? Will they actually be part of the kingdom? They felt bad, those that were the followers of Christ that have passed away. um, Are they going to be able to join us in this kingdom? Because in their mindset that they were just going to usher in the kingdom still. And it wasn't quite getting it and grasping it. If you are involved with helping people at the end of life, you know the the beginning of life is precious, and so is the end of life. I've been on both uh, sides of things. It's amazing how that and the the babies sleep a lot, but so do those that are at the end of life. And um, I was with Linda and Bob the last couple days, and hoping that Linda would wake up a little bit so I could talk to her. And uh, sleeping, and of course went sound to sleep and. And uh, now she was with, with the Lord. But in this particular um, portion of the Scripture, both the fourth chapter and the fifth chapter of Thessalonica, he is dealing with the end time and kind of explaining a few things. And so if you look at your Bibles in chapter 4, verse number 13, it has the word, but... And so that is actually there because of a transition. It is actually a new subject now is being expressed, and so he wants them to to kind of transition into that. But or or if you prefer, um, uh, because of or, or now I would like to say this: uh, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now he he's actually uh, admonishing them. I I don't want you to be ignorant. Okay. Um, have you ever had someone come to you and say, I just don't want you to be, you know, I don't want you to be kind of slow here on this particular subject because I want to bring you up to speed uh, on what's actually happening. And so i kind got of to grasp their attention, shift in transition. And he's saying, but, or he's saying to them, now I want to explain this to you. And I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those that are asleep. It's amazing he uses the terminology that those which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as those which have no hope. I had an opportunity before I became the pastor of this church to work with Apria Healthcare, and I would take in um, oxygen to people's homes. But I would also pick up their, their artifacts that they were using, some of the some of the medical supplies and so on. I would bring them out. I'd bring out beds and different things, and one time I went to a home where the person had passed away and they were all in the kitchen and I had to t- t- take the, the stuff out of the room that the person died in. And there was moaning and groaning and tears and, and just an incredible people, amount of people that were in excruciating pain because grandma was now gone. And I realized that perhaps these were some that had no hope, had no hope that they'd ever see her again. They had no hope that they would ever be with her again someday. Listen, folks, if this is all we have, we'd be in big trouble. (laughs) I'm looking forward to tomorrow morning. I'm heading up to one of the most wonderful vacations we have every year. And now for maybe 17, 18 of the 23 years of pastoring, we go to a place where there's some private lakes and we get to fish, and I'm an outdoorsman anyway, and I'm telling you, it's wonderful, but it ain't nothing like what heaven's going to be like. You know, you think, well, this is pretty nice down here. Well, it is pretty comfortable living in America. It may change, maybe. But I'm, I'm thinking that maybe perhaps we have to get our minds and our eyes off of this world. I'm so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ allowed me to be born in a home where my parents came to know Jesus at a very early age, And so then I could actually trust Christ as my Savior. And now, on a mission all of these years to continue to live the best I can, that's not the main objective. It is to get the Word of God out to people so they can understand. And so they wouldn't be ignorant concerning those that are asleep, even in the faith that people have died uh, previously. I have great-grandma Mammy, Luna Esperman, who passed away, a great born again Christian, who prayed that one of my dad's children would go in the ministry, and that prayer was answered. And she's in glory. Been there all of these years, probably 1980. Her Bible is 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 right over there. Uh, was given to her as a gift. Um, and and uh, have that kind of heritage is wonderful. But I have the hope of seeing her again. I have the hope of seeing my grandfather. That's his stand that the Bible sits on. I get to see him again. I get to see my, my uh, relationships that have gone to be with the Lord. I get to see them again. Linda is with her born-again believing friends in heaven now. This morning, started at 5.15, she took her last breath on this earth. But this is not all, folks, that we have. And so he's addressing those that felt that they were going to die and they weren't going to be able to be part of the kingdom. But listen to what he says in verse 14. 4. If we believe that Jesus died and he rose again, do you believe that, by the way? Do you believe that, that Jesus Christ came to save you? <laughs> is that part of your belief? Then you have eternal life. You will live forever with the Lord in heaven. There is, no, there is no changing this. It's written. He gave us a clean slate, and we now can know that if we sin, we can go, and he will, we, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And so this is really the Apostle Paul, one of the lawyer-type teacher, saying, here's a new subject, and I don't want you to be ignorant about it, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we uh, which are alive and remain in, unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or should not perceive them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Look at the preposition with. The Lord Himself shall descend with and with and with, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we, which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so said, then shall we ever be with the Lord? Wherefore comfort one another with these words, end of subject, and that's where the the the, the translators felt like it was important now to insert. Um, the, the paragraphs, and a lot of times we look at chapters, you know like first John has five chapters. well, it has twelve paragraphs. I know them well. Uh, it was an assignment that I had to be able to take those twelve chapters and make them into uh, sermons you know, or those twelve paragraphs and explain them and sometimes we read through this rather quickly and we kind of rush through, and a lot of times we think, well, this is another chapter. But it's kind of another paragraph, if you would, not just a chapter, but sometimes paragraphs introduce another thought. If you're writing a letter, maybe you'll use the words in the next paragraph, by the way. Or uh, in in view of all of that, or therefore, this is why I'm writing this. And so it opens up in chapter 5 where it says, again, the word but. And so we see it's a transition that's happening. And I think some of the commentaries were saying that you could put the word now in there. Um, After he tells them that there's going to be a catching away, a rapture of the church, now I want to talk to you that aren't ignorant. Those of you that know. So he's shifting. You know, you look at the first one in verse number 13, it is an admonition, but in chapter 13, Five, verse number one, it is a commending. Because look what he says. He says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you. So that's a, a, a commendation. He's, he's commending them. He's saying, you know, I don't have to even tell you about this because you know this. Um, and, and, you know, many times we think the church of Thessalonica, it's the first time they ever heard of this. They had, they had Christian missionaries. By the way, there were people that were saved in the New Testament that were teaching. There were souls that were saved, and so they were teaching the people. Of course, there was pastors that were there among the church people also that were helping. There was evangelists, and certainly there were those that had the gift of teaching. Brother Edmund Rowe, where is he? Is he in the auditorium in the back? He's probably one of the greatest teachers I've ever been able to meet. and uh, and be part of. Today, he's given me three uh, things to think about. Uh, Before I came to the pulpit, they're big sheets of paper, and they're full of information that I can read um, and be able to learn from. He likes to categorize it. He likes to be able to give as much information out as he can, because he knows he doesn't have the voice, but he wants to give it to the person who has the platform, and has that voice and opportunity to be able to get the Word of God out. And so some of the things that you've learned have been by your parents or your grandparents or other teachers and preachers and evangelists. And now we have the, the Internet flooded with preachers and teach. Everybody's become a preacher now, pretty much. And so you can tune into a lot of things and hear a lot of things that are going on. But this particular subject is absolutely crucial. It is relevant that the first verse here saying, but of the times and of the seasons, why are these words used? Times and seasons, don't you think that's kind of like the same thing? But if you were to study the words in the original languages, you would understand that this is actually talking about two different things. It's talking about era. You know the era in which you live. And the seasons, that could be crisis," one of the commentaries were saying that it was the air era. And the crisis. So you know the times and you know what are going on in the world system. And I'll tell you what, that is pretty relevant today. Because the Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come again. And the first thing, if you're taking notes, is the verses 1 and 2 help us understand a little bit more of the day of the Lord. And he just happens to mention that you do already know the times and the seasons. But you don't know the day or the hour. As we're looking at this and using it for a message concerning our time, we understand in verse number 1 where it says, But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly, that's a pretty good word, perfectly. You can't get any better than that that the day of the Lord comes so as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Years ago, I was just probably in my, maybe around 11. There was a movie that came out at church, and everybody was going to go see it. I was going to the First Assembly of God here in Madison. Pastor Culver was the pastor. And the movie is called The Thief in the Night. And... Uh, 11 years old, singing in a church with all kinds of people watching a film. I was like this. Talk about home alone. This is a congregation of all kinds of people watching. I mean, even that song, and I'd sing it for you, but it wouldn't do any good. That they were talking about how that the Lord Jesus could come at any time. And there's one scene where the person drops their hairdryer or their razor in the sink. Remember that scene? You that watched that? I'm thinking, where'd that person go to? Well, the Lord was going to snatch us up and catch us away. And those that believe in a rapture believe that's still going to happen. And, and we, we will know the seasons, and we'll know the era and the crisis that are going on. We see all of that. And so we understand that there's going to be what we call the day of the Lord. When does that begin? I personally believe it begins with the rapture of the church. This is now the day of the Lord when the rapture happens. And so there is going to be then what we believe is a seven-year seven tribulation. We understand that. And at the end of the seven years, there's going to be the millennium. So the rapture of the church takes place. Many of us are waiting for that to happen, and some of us are longing for that to happen. Um, If we were to talk about the rapture of the church, how that the Christians are snatched away, can you imagine what it would be like right now if that happens on this earth with all the things that are going on now, all of the saved police officers and the people with, with wisdom inside leaving? Uh, then the rapture of the church, and there's a seven-year tribulation. Then there's the second coming of Christ. There's a chart in the back. We finally got it back up again. Um, somebody from Maranatha years ago put that together. There's only a few of them, and we were able to get one. Um, but it gives us an idea of the timeline. And now, we, we have to be careful that we're not spooked out about it, that we get to the place where we're you know we, we're always looking outside, and you know because he tells us to occupy till he comes. And I think if we're resting in the salvation that he's given to us, we don't need to fear. We know that he will remove us when he's ready. And and I think it's important for us to convey that to other people. But this is the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ being, of course, implemented when we look toward the rapture of the church or the departure. The day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord ends. So I'm telling you that Jesus starts the day of the Lord with the rapture. He ends the day of the Lord with the second coming of Christ. And he brings his people with them. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then we also shall appear with him in glory. Colossians chapter 3. And so if we understand this, and this is really not the message completely, but really there is what's happening here is Paul is writing to them and helping them remember, remember the day of the Lord, that there is what we would call the day of the Lord. So remember that. I think it's important for us. But also the result of the day of the Lord is in verse number 3. It says, for when they say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction shall come upon them, as to travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And again, when we're talking about the second coming of Christ versus the rapture, there are two different events, and I personally believe that verse number 3 is talking about the second coming. I believe that there's going to be some treaties that are... Mm, that are written, and there's going to be peace, uh, at least false peace, coming during the tribulation time. And, uh, and uh, I, I'm, not, um, I'm not a real sharp theologian. I'm a drywaller's kid, okay? Uh, but I've read my Bible, and I understand that there are two events. There is the rapture and the second coming of Christ. And in between there, there's going to be a lot of people that are hoping for peace, I think that right now there are people that are wishing for peace in Seattle and uh, other places. What's the other place there? In Portland, Portland. Um, uh, I say give ten Marines the ability to move in there. Just ten is all you need, and uh, we could we could get peace real quick. Seriously, I mean, maybe five female Marines, <laughs> <laughs> maybe one. Ramble. But you think about all these things that are happening before us. And we're thinking, wow, you know, the second coming could come at any time. And, and, And he's basically discussing this with the church people, but for when they shall say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction comes upon them as travail upon the woman with child, and they shall not escape. So we see then the result of the day of the Lord. And and all of this can be expounded upon. I could take you to all different scriptures, but I want to give to you a, a, a little illustration at the end of this and so we can uh, get, get to lunch. But I want to just clarify a few things, the reminder of the day of the Lord, then the result of the day of the Lord. But I want you to see the responsibility because of the day of the Lord in verses 4 through 10. And look at these verses. It says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. No, because you've been walking in the light. You've been having fellowship with Christ. His spirit is bearing witness with your spirit. You've been able to accomplish things for the Lord. But here it says that you, brethren, are not in darkness. That day shall not overtake you as a thief. But you are all the children of light, the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Same word that's used for temperance, that's part of being filled with the Spirit. And uh, we showed a film here on on Wednesday night of the temperance movement. And I I didn't know if I clarified this or not, but but, uh, the Howell family... Had two different divisions in it. They had some that were part of the temperance movement and some that weren't. I had a knock on a door a while back, and I was at a, at a motel, and some guy came. He said his name was James Howell, and I'd never met a Jim Howell, you know. And so I had to ask my dad, you know, do you know a Jim? Ah, that was a distant cousin. That was the Howells that lived over there, but they were part of that temperance movement, I, in fact, I asked them, I said, I said, how come they never mention you guys or we don't really talk about that? You know, we had Harry Howell and then it was Richard Howell and Royce and so on. And uh, he said, well, we were, we were not able to go to your reunions and stuff because we were of the temperance movement. They believed that there was a self-restraint needed, that there was no need for them to be involved with anything that would actually have alcohol involved with it. That was part of the temperance movement. And, uh, and so when we're talking about the word sober in the scriptures, we're talking about those that are self-restrained. Those are part of the temperance people that, that believe that they don't need to indulge in excess. If they do, they may lower their guard and be involved with things that they never thought they would be involved in. And don't you think there should be a temperance movement today? Yeah. Look at how many families and homes that alcohol has hurt and destroyed. I remember a great preacher one time is... Look at a magazine with his mom, and then he'd she'd find a beer ad, and they used to have them in the magazines, and she would say, "That's bad, that's aki, ah, no," and so then he would find that as a little boy, he would turn the page and he'd find he'd say, "Aki, mom, no, bad, no good," you know. From a very early age, had that desire, and I'm not trying to beat it, beat up on anybody. One specific sin, we're all sinners. We've all got problems. We've all got issues. If we were to sit down with you, it wouldn't take very long to find out what your problem is. And it wouldn't take very long if you'd ride with me to a a home to visit somebody. It It wouldn't be very long that you'd find out what my problem is. And I think that if we stop talking about this, we're going to be in trouble. All of us are sinners. We've all sinned before God. Every single one of us have. And to walk around sometimes with our polished shoes and to walk into a place and say, well, I'm better than you, is hurting Christianity. Right. You know, I feel like going off into a direction right now and preach, but I, I'm, I'm so tired of, of, of this fakeness in Christianity. I'm tired of it. I'd rather see a person that's real, honest, and humble, and somebody who is faking everybody else out. Folks, let me tell you something. I tremble before our God because every person will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, every born-again Christian. And we must not get to the place where we think we're something special. Don't have an exaggerated opinion of yourself. You're saved by the grace of God. Yes. Amen. And I think sometimes... And our movements, if I can use that, my wife hates that name, our movement. What is that? It usually goes along with another word. And I don't know how I got off on this a little bit, but maybe verse 6 where it says, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us walk, watch, and be sober. For they that... Sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are be drunken are drunken in the night. And this intoxication is not talking about Mogan David or whatever. We can be intoxicated with the cares and the lives of this world, of the life of this world. We can be so consumed with everything in this world that we don't even know what to do next and we're walking, walking like a drunk person. But we that have been born from above every single day need to wake up And say, Lord, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, now fill me with your Spirit. Because you know what? It's not getting any easier to walk with you these days than it was years ago. I think anybody that wants to do something for Christ these days, better beware. And you better put your armor on because you're going to be attacked in many different ways if you're going to stand for the Lord these days. But we're not like them, he says. They, transition, uh, they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night. But here's here's the positive part. Here's the temperance. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet and the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to what? but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. What is interesting in this portion of Scripture that I read to you, that in verse number 18 of chapter 4, the last verse says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. But look at verse 11 of chapter 5. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. I think it's important for us to remember that we, as individuals, need to be comforted to know that there will be a removal of God's people first before the wrath comes. Now, I know that there's a difference between man's wrath and God's wrath. I understand all of that. But before God pours out his judgment upon this earth, he is going to remove his bride. And the church is his bride. I want to just explain to you and give you an illustration as closing this particular message and help you understand the joy of a marriage. Do you like weddings? I've done a lot of weddings. I think 35 of them or so. And and I remember some weddings, the guy's walking down the aisle like he's gonna get candy out of a candy dish. Like, you know. And she's probably thinking, Oh my, what am I doing? You know. But I've seen some weddings where before they even get down here, there's tears. There's such joy and happiness. Because a wedding is really, really special. And and the wedding actually pictures the marriage of uh, the, the the believer entering into a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, and what I find interesting is the Galilean wedding, and I want to just picture just a couple things and note out two things out of the Galilean wedding that I think are interesting and and really relevant to this particular passage. That the Bible the Bible makes it really clear that we enter into a covenant. We talked about that this morning with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. This do in remembrance of me, where He talks about the new covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant when he shed his blood on the cross. We understand this. But what's interesting, when the the bride um, is actually brought to the home of the groom to be, they're not married yet, and they come in and they give a dowry, they kind of go over the money that's going to be actually given. A lot of times over there, the moms and dads were talking already a little bit, and they say, well, I give you a 1,000 sheep, and you give me five acres, and we'll... You know, this will all work together for everybody, you know, that kind of thing. Well, in the Galilean wedding, there is that uh, dowry that is given, but as the bride stands there and as the groom stands there, there is a need for them to settle this through a covenant. And so what they do, the groom takes a small uh, bottle of wine and he takes a glass. Now, let me just explain this wine to you. Um, you may think, well, that's got to be intoxicating wine. Fresh, new wine is not fermented wine, so it's grape juice from the vine. That's why we use grape juice here. We don't use intoxicated beverages because, just like the cracker, no leaven in it, uh, there's no sin in Jesus Christ. He's been being pure. And so, but he takes that bottle, if you would, and pours it into a cup, and he hands it to the bride. Now, she takes that from his hands. And if she accepts the dowry, of course, the parents already has, have. And if she takes that and she consumes it, she's saying, I accept. Interesting, isn't it? Because we're talking about a covenant in marriage. We're also talking about a covenant between the sinner and the Savior, Jesus Christ, that he already shed his blood. And this is the covenant of the New Testament, that all those that have believed in the death and burial, of course, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we believe that. We accept him then. So we didn't just take it in our hands and hand it back. We didn't just take it into our mouths and then spit it out. We consumed it. We internalized the wisdom of this book by receiving Jesus Christ and his spirit now lives within us. It's a beautiful picture. Just one little area of the Galilean wedding. But the one that's the most interesting to me, that I just saw this last week, and I want to share it with you in closing, is that when it is time for the groom to go get his bride, he doesn't really know when. There's About a year takes place from the transaction, and he has to wait that time. And so that's a long time to wait. But he's preparing a room on his father's house. And by the way, where it says, In my father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. That particular word mansion isn't mansion, isn't in the scripture. Um, The Greek word for that particular word is room. So in my father's house there are many rooms. Interesting that they actually go and build himself a room for his bride to come to. And his father's house, that's a pretty nice deal, right? Not much rent, really isn't much to take care of, plus you get to see mom and dad all the time and your brothers and sisters. I mean, just think how many rooms that Paul Miller would have to build. <laughs> I mean, just think about that, you know? And <clears throat> we prepare our boys to leave as soon as possible. You know, you know. you're a man now there's the car keys you can go uh, no but seriously um, one of the things is that the groom would go for a year and prepare the, the woman would, the bride would prepare the, the bridesmaids and the, and the dresses and everything and all the women things but when it was time he'd lay there at night thinking well I know the season I know the era, you know, we're getting close to it, but the groom cannot go until the father says it's time. In the Galilean wedding, I mean, he's not laying too far away from his dad, and he's got one eye open thinking, maybe tonight I can go get her. Can you imagine the the thrill when the dad gets up, puts his sandals on, looks over at his son, and says, go get your bride. (laughs) It'd be like... Well, it's about time. Gets the torch, of course, and with a loud shout, all of it, and goes and gets her. And it's interesting because what happens when they get to the house, she comes out and she's already got her wedding clothes on, and there's ten virgins that are with them. You can see it explained in Matthew 25. But what happens then is that bride comes out and they put her on a pedestal and carry her. She is Raptured, she is caught up away and brought to the Father's house. It's the same exact understanding of the rapture of the church. Interesting how most Jewish people don't even see it, but you do, and you've been told. There are some Messianic Jews that believe this, but the Bible makes it really clear that He's going to come like a thief in the night. Oh, we may know the era, we may know the crisis and the the day and age, but we need to be ready for our master when he comes. We need to be ready in the area of keeping our hearts pure and clean. I know all of this, and so do you. So how do we do that? Make sure we keep on the helmet of salvation, because there's a lot of wacky teaching out there that could take us away from understanding that once we've been born again, we are always saved. We don't have to keep going back and getting saved and saved and saved. If you went astray, come back home. If you're out there today listening to this message and Facebook, and I would say that if you're not walking with God, it's time. Yes, man. Let's get ready. And then let's keep being busy for Christ because everybody's having a, having a tough time. They don't need to have you delirious. They don't have, have to have you depressed They need you of being confident and devoted to the Lord to continue to point to heaven during these difficult times. Years ago, I used to work in uh, the postal service, and I lived in Horicon, and I did drywall jobs on the side. And I was doing a drywall job for a guy that asked me to do it. And then I went to his house, Uh, not the person I did the work for, but the person that, that actually got me the job. I said, so where do you go to church? Oh, we don't go to church. We believe that Jesus is coming any time. That's been 30 years ago or so, or maybe more. I don't even know. 19, it was in 1990. How long has 1990 been? 30 what? 30 years ago. And he says, we, we come home at night, and we just pull our shades, and we're just ready for Jesus to return. I was like, did I hear him right? You know, why would he be so focused on himself during that time? And then I think of John Harper coming over in the Titanic. The ship is going down. There's just a few left floating on pieces of wood. And that's one of them is John Harper. It's a pastor that was on the Titanic. He's yelling out, anybody out there? And he hears a little faint cry, yes, I'm over here. And he says, why don't you receive Jesus right now? Time is short. You're going to be swallowed up by the water. And then pretty soon the voice was kind of distant. And she said, the person said, I saw him kind of drift away. Came back again. The current brought him back in. All you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you can be saved. Just admit that you're a sinner. And that person did that. And he floated away. And John Harper floated away. And that person was able to be saved and survived the Titanic and was giving a testimony one time in a church. It's a beautiful story, but it's a true story. That even when the Titanic was going down, and in his final, last moments on this earth, he was trying to help other people get to heaven. Praise God for that. I hope that you would be that kind of a person. Listen, we know things are getting bad. But you know what? Sometimes the news makes it worse than what it is. And you know, Satan messes with everything too, right? Because my garden is looking pretty good. And boy, the, sun's, the sunsets lately have been just beautiful. And have you seen the rainbows lately? Do you think that God's sending a message? Everything in my Father's house is just perfect. Everything's all right in my Father's house. In my Father's house. In my You know what? i got a room up there. So do you, if you've called upon the name of the Lord. I want you to be there. I want to see my grandma someday. I'd love to see you too. I hope you've trusted Jesus. I hope you have sincerely opened the door of your heart and let him in. And if you haven't, today's the day. What is it the ninth today? I knew it was, because I know I'm going on vacation on the 10th. But I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. And he gave himself for you. And he'll save you. Just go to him. Amen? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I know he went longer than I should have today. But maybe you're here in the auditorium. And you've never put your trust in Jesus. You've never said yes dear Jesus. Come in. You haven't opened up your heart. Maybe you've been hiding behind a religion. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? That's the question. Today would be the day that he would come in if you just simply open your heart to him. So let me ask you real quick before we close and go to lunch. Maybe that's you and you'd say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I don't know for sure that I'm saved, but I would like to know. Would you please pray for me? I won't point you out, but I will pray for you. And maybe you just would lift your hand, and no one's looking around and say, would you pray for me because I need to get this settled. Would you just lift your hand, put it back down again? I need to get that settled. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else with these two? Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ is working. Is he working in you? Just simply say, Lord, I I know I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? And I believe that Jesus Christ shed his blood for me. He died and rose again and paid the price for me. And I trust Jesus and his work, not my own. And maybe that's you today. And maybe you'd like for someone to come and pray with you. Then come to the altar. We'll we'll send somebody up here. If you're a man, a man will come and pray with you. If you're a lady, a lady will pray with you. But maybe it's something more than that. You've already trusted Jesus, but you've never been baptized. And now you realize that's the next step. I need to get baptized. Would you just come this morning and we'll pray with you and show you a little more how that can happen. Maybe it's for church membership, or maybe you just need to come and pray. The altar is open for you today. Would you please stand? No one looking around. Maybe you just need to come and renew your relationship with God this morning. Say, here I am, Lord. I love you. Thank you for saving me. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to come this morning. Whatever the issue is, the altar is going to be open. I'm going to pray. And if you'd like to come this morning, you can come. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. you so much, Abigail, and thank you for singing this morning. What a blessing. Has this been a good day so far? Amen. I just love Sundays. Uh, I know that you'll enjoy the food also, and just a little bit we'll pray, but Mark gave me a call the other day, and he I didn't know him, never met him. Met him one time from a distance down here. He's walking his dog with his mom, Marguerite. She's 94, I believe, at a nursing home. He said, I got saved years ago, but I've never been baptized. Would you help me? And uh, came this morning, didn't Didn't uh, recognize him or anything, but we prayed together. And right now, uh, his form's being filled out. He wants to get baptized next week. Amen? Or or, or the week next. But what what a blessing to have God still working in people. By the way, the Holy Spirit drawing him and him saying yes to the Holy Spirit proves that God is still working. The work's not over, folks. And you know what? God may tarry. He may tarry another 50 years. I was sitting on the bed as a little 9-year-old boy 50 years ago, and my dad said, Jesus may not come for 50 years yet, because I thought he was coming the next night. Right? But what if he does, Terry? Let's just keep going, folks. Keep going. I could preach all day, but let's not. Let's pray for our lunch. Uh, I believe they're almost ready out there. Are they wonderful? What a bunch of! I'll tell you, we have the best people here at Grace. Um, and during a COVID crisis like this, with the social distancing and all the things that required, we still wanted to continue to obey and have people here and, and honor the Lord today. And I believe He was honored. What a blessing! Let me pray, and then um, and then you can just go right into the line because we'll pray for the food. Stick around. Uh, the dads can go and get their, their their trunks on if they would like to. All right, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your goodness to this church all these years. Uh, Sometimes we're not faithful, but you are always faithful. Sometimes we kind of get a little bit uh, lethargic, but you're never lethargic. And sometimes we even sleep, but you never sleep or slumber. Lord, thank you for being our God. And thank you for being steady and faithful through the years. And Lord, help us to be the Christian that understands and is not ignorant concerning the rapture, but also a a Christian who is awake and doesn't sleep. Lord, I just pray that we would keep our lamps trimmed and oil-filled so that we can be a blessing all the way to the end. Thank you for the illustration of John Harper. And Lord, help us to be that kind of a Christian, to stay at it. Now, Lord, thank you for the food, And thank you for the fellowship, Lord. I just ask now for your blessing upon the people as they enjoy the afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen.